Anchored in Reaching is for curious people who want to explore the story that God is writing in history and who are looking for their own place in that story to find meaning and vibrancy in their life and vocation. I'm Kevin Manoya. Join me each week as we probe the edges of faith and living, always in relation to God who knows you best. For some, it'll be an opportunity to anchor yourself more securely in your faith. For others, it'll be motivation to reach out to engage more broadly. In either case, these conversations should encourage, enlighten, and challenge you. The diversity of the church is just an increasingly intriguing factor as we explore our understanding as disciples of Jesus together with millions, well, frankly, billions of other people around the world. And and that diversity is really what brings transformation to life in the world. It's like that big river system I told you all about in the introductory session to this series called The Diversity of Unity. So we're continuing in that exploration of the diversity that exists within the body of Christ, within the church, and in late in 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 the last few years, uh, a lot of that diversity has created lines of division, antagonism, arguments, divisiveness, and this series is designed to help open our eyes a little bit to the fact that that diversity is actually a good thing. You don't have unity apart from diversity. And we're all part of the mission of God transforming the world. So unity comes out of that diversity. Welcome to Anchored and Reaching. I'm glad you took time to join us again for this episode in the series of diversity, uh, the diversity of unity. I want to remind you that you can communicate with us if you want to. Send us an email at podcast at anchoredandreaching.com. And there may be notes in the show notes or links in the show notes that you can uh, you can take advantage of to go deeper in some of these things. We're we're exploring this diversity with wonderful leaders of the church who come from some of the various streams. And uh, I hope that you'll kind of uh, sit back and think a little bit, let your mind be opened, your heart be softened to what God is doing. Today, it's a wonderful opportunity that we have to be able to sit with Dr. Carla Sundberg, who is one of the general superintendents of the Church of the Nazarene denomination, a global denomination that, that identifies squarely in the middle of the Wesleyan holiness stream. Uh, Dr. Sunberg, it's really good to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to be with you today, Kevin, and to have this opportunity for conversation. Yeah, and uh, we look forward to exploring this subject, particularly around the holiness message. So, so let me just hit the ground running here in the time we have. Um, we've explored a variety of streams, and the one we want to dial into is that Wesleyan holiness stream, especially focusing in on holiness. And a lot of people have really come to conclude that holiness is synonymous with legalism and rules and regulations and a list on your refrigerator that you got to check off every day. And, and I guess the driving question here, Carla, is, 
is really holiness synonymous with legalism? Is that the pursuit of holiness? And and how do we how you know how do you deal with the perception of people that address holiness in those terms or see it in that way? Well, I think that's really interesting that people would see holiness as legalism, and I think in some ways that's a bit unfortunate because that's certainly not what the holiness movement is really all about. But I can see how it happened. I think we have to go back and look at the church historically when the holiness movement really began coming out of the work of John and Charles Wesley, it was a movement that led to life transformation. That And that is at the core, really, of the holiness movement. It is this infilling of the Holy Spirit that leads to holiness of life in so many different ways. It is revealed in love for God and love for neighbor. And those early holiness movements were impacting people who needed incredible life transformation. And so in that first generation of people, so often, you know, even here in the United States, the movement, you had people that were on the margins of society. You had people that were struggling with alcoholism, all kinds of other issues. And as they experienced holiness, their lives were transformed and they moved away from a previous lifestyle and began to follow this lifestyle that mimicked the holiness of Jesus Christ. But it came out of the work of the Holy Spirit inside of them. Hmm. I'm afraid that the, the reputation for being legalistic really came more out of the second and the third generations who looked back at the first generation and said, look at that life transformation, see how they were different. But instead of focusing on the spirit that brought the transformation, they began to focus on the transformation itself and say, okay, then to be a holiness person, then I need to look like this. Well, maybe there's some reality to that, but you can't focus on the end product without focusing on what it does that produces that product. And that's where people have gotten the holiness movement wrong, in my opinion. And so I think that we are really at a place today where I think there is great value in this holiness message being brought back to our world again and saying, okay, no, this is really an incredible message of transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are our lives changed as a result? Absolutely. But not by works, not by our own works, but by the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. That's kind of the easy answer to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, I, I really like that emphasis, calling us back to the work of God instead of the result of how that's appropriated in a life. I mean, you made the statement, holiness of life, and then, you know, it said it's not, it's not appropriate to focus on the product of God's transformation. And and so what I hear you saying is that a lot of times we focus on the product, we focus on the observable behavior. I mean, did I hear that correctly? And if so, how how do you keep from doing that? How does the average Joe and Susan and Damien and all of the people out there, how do they keep from focusing on the outward behaviors of a life that's transformed? Yeah, I think you heard me correctly. And Really, the way that that has to happen is through discipleship. And Mm -hmm. uh, again, that's a huge piece of the whole Wesleyan holiness movement. 
a life of discipleship. So how do we disciple people? Well, first of all, we have to disciple people into a deeper walk with Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in you that then produces the changed life again. But how do I take people into that deeper walk with Jesus Christ? Um, That's that focus on loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You know, back in the day, Wesley had these small group meetings. He called them class meetings and band meetings. And I mean, they were pretty incredible discipleship meetings. They would get together and they were really accountability groups where he would sit and he would ask you, hey, how does your soul prosper? Now, that's not a works kind of thing, but that was a question of how are you doing spiritually? And can we answer that question these days? Can we say, well, this is how I am doing spiritually these days? And then he would say, what are the means of grace that you are participating in or you are attending to? And I would ask that same question of a disciple today. What are you doing to help yourself to grow spiritually? Now, again, that's not a work salvation, but we also believe that from the time that we are saved by the work of Jesus Christ, that we then end enter into a life of growth, a growth that happens throughout our entire lives, where we are continually on this pathway of being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's really what holiness says. It says, I'm not waiting until you know, another life to say, well, then I'll be like Jesus and I'm just going to do everything wrong every day. And this is the part where legalism can get in the way, right? I'm thinking about it, but we actually believe we don't have to continue living in sin every day of our lives, that through that power of the Holy Spirit, but it comes through accountability, it comes through being in community, it comes through this partnership with other people. Now, something else that happens is um, the old church back in like the fourth century used to talk about the practice of virtues, which was actually practicing being like Christ. Now, We have to be really careful because we don't want that to be legalism, right? However, one of my dear friends, Dr. Diane LeClaire, has often said it this way. She says, you know, she loves sports. So if you have a little basketball player who someday wants to play basketball like Michael Jordan, they're probably going to get the Michael Jordan t-shirt and they're going to get the Michael Jordan shoes And they're going to watch the Michael Jordan videos and they're going to practice the Michael Jordan shots. Everything that Michael Jordan did, they want to be like him. And as followers of Jesus Christ, if you want to be like Jesus, why wouldn't you want to practice doing the things that he did? I want, I'm not saying I want the t-shirt, but I mean, whatever that looks like for you, what does that look like to clothe yourself in Jesus Christ? You know, and recently I, I did a study on prayer and, and prayer through the passages of the scriptures. And I mean, I think about this. It's what a challenge that Jesus would go away for a whole night to pray. And I'm thinking if Jesus had to pray, what do we need to be doing all yeah, the more, yeah. right? So the practices of the virtues is not legalism. 
It is in a desire for Christ-likeness, I want to try to imitate Christ so that I become more like him. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, that's really, really good. So maybe would it be, uh, so maybe the Church of the Nazarene is going to open up a whole new part of its headquarters for the Jesus merch, right? The sand, we're going to buy sandals and robes and, you know, no, I'm joking, of course, Um, but you know, wouldn't that be your your point is so well made that when you want to be like someone, you do what they did, and in some respects, that actually helps you to become like they are. Absolutely, right? I mean, that's that's the reflection you're talking about. Yeah, and 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 not to focus though on the on the outcomes and the results but realize that fundamentally this holiness idea is one of a transformed heart. Yeah, that's reflecting Jesus. You've used that phrase multiple times, and that seems to be shining through in this message. What what then, how does this idea of holiness, and, and again, holiness message, holiness movement, Holiness of God in the Catholic Church. Holiness refers to the, uh, you know, to the magisterium. It refers to the Pope. It refers to authority and all of that. But but in this particular stream of the Church, the Wesleyan holiness uh, that we're talking about here, how does that affect how, like the Church of the Nazarene or the Free Methodist Church or the Salvation Army or the Foursquare? These holiness denominations, how do holiness people then relate to other streams that may come at it differently? How does that inform their engagement with some of the other diverse streams of the church? Well, I think one thing we all need to realize is that we don't have the corner on everything spiritually in the life of the church. I believe that we have different churches different denominations, because when you put us all together, we create an incredible whole picture. Mm -hmm. And I would like to believe that without the holiness churches, Christianity would be missing something really significant. But we can't all be the same either. And so I think just as a piece of a puzzle, you know, it has cutouts, it has different parts that, that connect to the others around it. I think that we all need to figure out what are the ways that I connect or we connect to the other streams that are around us. And in doing so, how does that make us stronger? Mm. Because we really do need one another and we can actually Mm -hmm. speak into one another's lives. But I think realizing I'm not here to change my brother or my sister to be the same stream that I am, unless they would feel called to do that. But that I'm going to be better because of my brothers and sisters. Mm, that's a pretty radical statement to say that in a, in the holiness stream, you as a holiness leader will actually be better because of your embrace of people in the Catholic, Orthodox, mainline, reform traditions. I mean, is, am I pushing that too far, or is that is that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying that from my own personal life— I studied, Mm -hmm. um, in my doctoral research, I studied holiness in the fourth century. Mm -hmm. Now that comes a long time before the Wesleyan holiness stream, which would come out of the Wesley brothers. And there would be Mm -hmm. a lot of people in my own tradition that might have said, well, we didn't know that holiness even really existed before then. But, you know, in my studies, I, I read 
Uh, I read the Vatican II sections on holiness, which are incredible if you want to take the time to read them. Um, I read from the early church fathers, specifically the Cappadocian fathers and what they had to share. And part of what my purpose was in going back even to the fourth century, however, you see all of the rivers do converge at the beginning. Mm -hmm. We have a common history. And then they, they kind of spread out from that. And I loved going back to the early church and saying, okay, what was it that was common about us from the very beginning that taught us about holiness that really speaks to all of us? And that's why I can then go and read a paper by an Orthodox brother, or I can read, um, you know, there's a whole section of the Lutheran church movement that's looking at Luther of justification as sanctification you can read all those materials, and it makes my understanding of holiness so much richer. It doesn't mean that I don't agree with what I still believe. It just makes it richer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, what about you know, as a, and, and particularly as a church leader, um, this idea that it does make it richer. But what about some of the elements and some of the some of the parts of the church that become pretty uh, pretty focused how do you how do you deal with them uh, how do you respond to those that say well Carla you know you're too broad uh, you're too inclusive uh, and maybe you, you're not really sure what you believe and uh, kind of uh, a little bit critical of the breadth of what you're talking about here and the acceptance of many different perspectives that make you richer? How, you know, how do you, how do you deal with people that criticize? Well, first of all, I guess I have to say, you have to be careful of the word acceptance. Just because I mm -hmm. read somebody else's material doesn't mean I accept it all. Mm -hmm. And actually what strengthens you is your ability to read it critically. So what is it that I can read that comes from some of the other streams that might really help me to go deeper, but am I critical enough to say, but I can't buy all of that? So you don't, you don't accept all of it. And I would say this, that by reading from other traditions, it has made me more able to clearly articulate my tradition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's something about it that has helped mm -hmm. me actually feel even stronger in my faith mm -hmm. and where I believe God has called me to serve. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I would share that testimony. I mean, you know, I grew up in a, in a, in a denomination and pastored and led in a denomination that is in the holiness tradition and went to a school that is much more in the reformed tradition. And that probably helped me um, as much as anything to discover some of the deeper roots and foundations of my own heritage. Um, not to again, not to say that it's better, but so I share that sentiment with you that it does help us make make us better whole, you know, whole Christians even in our tradition, um, in our own heritage and tradition. So, so then somebody. Uh, I mean, let me let me go to the general and then maybe the particular, because I know that you have served all over the world. You've served as a missionary uh, in Russia. You've served in e Eastern Europe, other places. You, you know, you've been all over the place. Certainly, you've run into churches, people, whether they're churched or not, who are just completely uh, trained or their thinking patterns are in a completely different uh, way of thinking. 
So how do you take these big ideas that you're talking about and help them understand what you're talking about in terms of of this holiness of God reflecting Jesus? How do, how do you take this idea into a practical application? Well, I think part of the practical application has to be the way we live this out in our lives. And actually, if I could just even say in, in the... Um, kind of the political environment of the day, which is very polarized, Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. is kind of a draw on one side that if you wanted to say it's kind of more about um, morals, about kind of personal piety or whatever on one extreme, on the other extreme, an extreme um, view for justice. Mm -hmm. What's fascinating about the Wesleyan holiness movement is it's a combination of the two. There is Mm -hmm. this ethic of a moral Christian life that we believe that God calls us to. We talked about that, the transformation, Mm -hmm. not legalism, but what does that look like? But at the same time, there is that love of neighbor that calls us to get into the margins and the messiness of life. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget um, one community we were trying to minister to in Russia. And we went out to this community and Things were very difficult at that time, and we had uh, a lot of clothing that we were able to share and distribute at an orphanage and another place. And in that community, they put us on the news at night. The local Orthodox priest got really, really mad. And he went to the television station and he said, why would you put those Nazarenes on the news? And the people at the news said, when's the last time you helped the people in our community? Mm. Wow. Yeah. And so I don't know how many, that story has been replayed over and over and over again, that when we combine love of God with love of neighbor, that Mm -hmm. there's something powerful that happens in it that becomes this testimony. Again, going back to reflecting the image of Christ. And I'll just tell you, I stole that from Origen in the third century. Mm -hmm. And Origen talked about the fact that we are created with like a mirror on the front of us. And that the closer that we become to Christ, the more that the reflection of Christ fills our mirror. And so we want that to be our message to the world. The mission statement of the Church of the Nazarene is making Christ-like disciples in the nations. And so we're really, really trying to embrace that, the language of discipleship, the language of growing in grace, of the transformation, yeah. not focusing on the legalistic, but on the growth in grace. Yeah, amen. Yeah. And I'm hearing, and this is going to be probably for another episode at some point in the future, this careful, not just balance, but integration that I'm hearing in what you're saying and uh, in the holiness message that, number one, it doesn't belong to one group of people alone. Number two, it's not legalistic. And number three, it is both a very deeply intimate personal transformation and a very impactful social engagement. You know, um, that that's what I'm hearing coming from what you're saying. And, and that's pretty potent. Well, and I, that is what the holiness movement should be. The both and. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Tension yeah. in that in the both and. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, as with every stream of the church, every tradition of the church, uh, often what we see is not the ideal reflection of of what it's intended to be. So we gotta we you know, we gotta work with each other with a lot of grace. 
So, so let me ask you this, are there, and, and I'm, I'm kind of wrapping things up here, but uh, are there resources? I think if I'm not mistaken, you have a magazine called Holiness Today or something like that, where if people want to go and they want to learn a little bit more about this, but uh, would that be a good place to point folks or, uh, or would there be a better place that you'd suggest if they want to go looking for more of what you're talking about here? Yeah, the magazine is an excellent resource. It also has podcasts that come with it now as well. Mm-hmm. It is produced mm-hmm. in four languages, uh, comes out bi-monthly. So that's a great resource for people. Also, okay. um, I talked about this discipleship journey. We framed it in the language of the journey of grace, from prevenient hmm. to saving to sanctifying grace. Now, that's very much mm-hmm. language that comes to us from the Wesleyan holiness lang- um, world. But Dr. David Busick, one of my colleagues, wrote a book called Way, Truth, and Life. Hmm. And that is now available, I think, in over 16 languages, that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're producing it for all over the world to help draw people in we really are having this renewed emphasis on the life of discipleship and being drawn through grace into that that walk. So that's mm. a good resource as well. It's on Amazon. You can find it. Great uh, way, truth, and life. That's great. Well, Carla, thanks so much for taking time to join us. I really, really appreciate your your patience and your willingness to join me in this conversation. And uh, hopefully this can actually be helpful to some of the constituents and some of the folks you work with as well as a source where people can go and listen to what your heart is on this message as, as well. So thanks for joining us a lot. Yeah. Hey, can I throw in two more resources? Oh, of course. Absolutely. Well, actually, I wrote a little book called Reflecting the Image that's based mm-hmm. on this whole conversation. It's on Amazon as well. Perfect. And a new book just called uh, Teach Us to Pray. And uh, both of those have to do with this journey of grace as well. Awesome. They're not from the whole denomination, but from me. So Yeah, that's yeah. great. Well, thank you so much, Carla, for joining us. And uh, folks, I do hope that you'll take some time and ponder, reflect, um, meditate a little bit on some of the thoughts and let some of these things, even as you're driving your car or maybe falling asleep at night or uh, just, just sipping tea uh, next to the fire or whatever, or in your small group uh, listening to this, I hope that it's going to really press your thinking into understanding a bit more about this particular stream of the church and how it fits with the many other streams. So um, keep keep listening. Look forward to having you join us at the next episode. We'll be talking to others and in exploring this idea of the diversity of the unity of the church. And I pray that this is helping you deepen your own resolve as a Christ follower. God bless you richly. Let me encourage you to keep leaning into the wonderful adventure of becoming all that God has envisioned for you to be. Anchoring yourself in a secure identity, you reach with confidence to engage with people and daily life all around you. Allow your curiosity to explore and find God in the edges. Please take time to share this podcast with all your friends and invite them to join me in upcoming weeks as we explore together this exhilarating journey of being anchored and reaching.